Howdy. It's the the MMA podcast, boys. That's not what we're called. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's Ed and Sherrom from the Fight Site here for the MMA podcast. It's it's about MMA. We're going to be talking mostly about UFC 259 today. And we're joined by a special guest, fighter and analyst, pro fighter and analyst, Jared McLaughlin. Say hello to all the people. Hello, people. Thank you guys for having me on today. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you, and uh, if people are, are really dedicated fans, which is probably like none of you, so <laughs> as for the record, none of you are dedicated enough to know this, uh, but Jared was on the like one of the first few episodes of the Wrestling for MMA podcast when I still had the energy to interview people, and uh, <laughs> I interviewed him, so I'm not going to re-interview him today, because um, <laughs> you're going to have to go back and watch that one, but uh, what, what are the, the, the key bullet points to you, Jared? Man, I am a uh, professional fighter out of Oklahoma. I've been fighting professionally since I was 18 years old. I'm 21 now. I've been lucky enough to get to train around the world. I've spent time at Jackson Wink with guys like John Jones, Carlos Condit. I've been in New Zealand with uh, the City Kickboxing Boys. I've got to train with Adesanya, Carlos Olberg. And I, I got to train under New Zealand's best-kept secret, Brogan Anderson, who is uh, surely to be in the UFC soon. You guys are definitely going to have to keep an eye out for that guy. If you haven't heard of him yet, you will soon. What other bullet points about me, Ed? I'm six foot nine inches. That's two wow. different measurements. I'm <laughs> handsome. I'm handsome as hell, people will tell you. Ed, besides that, you know, I, I don't think there's much more that people need to know. You know what? I'm getting ready for a professional fight April 10th in Oklahoma. If you guys want to see how that goes down, then just make sure to check me out on uh, YouTube at Jared McLaughlin, Facebook, Jared McLaughlin MMA, Instagram, Jared McLaughlin, Twitter, McLaughlin Jared. And uh, on my YouTube, I just threw up a couple videos. I think they're processing right now, but just some clips of me sparring, hitting pads, and some highlights from uh, a big knockout win in a kickboxing fight I had over in New Zealand. If you guys are interested in any of that, then again, check me out on YouTube. I'll, I'll comment on my page underneath this video so everyone can click it. And that's all. Awesome. Those those were great bullet points. Um, and you and Sharam have a lot in common with those measurements. Interesting, anyway. Sharam. <laughs> it's uh, a rumor. I don't know how it started. It's an accurate rumor. Uh, your, your knockout yes, recently, are. was that a head kick? Am I remembering that? That was a head kick, yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, it was set up the whole fight. I went to his legs. I went to his body. He, he switched southpaw after a few leg kicks, and we had kind of an open stance matchup going on, and Brogan uh, had called for me. He was cornering me in that fight. He had called for me to just set it up by going to the body in the corner in between the first and second round. So a couple hard body kicks, and the hands quickly dropped, and I was able to kind of parry a jab and jump into a little bit and go to the head, and I deaded my first man. I had never uh, knocked anybody cold unconscious like that. It was definitely an interesting feeling. Congrats. Yeah, you should be in jail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but instead they paid me money. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad to hear it. I'm sad to hear it for him, but I'm glad to hear it for you. Yeah, that's the game. You get put there eventually, you know, you'll be on both sides of it. Yeah, and uh, what's nice about your YouTube channel is you break down some of your own fights, some of your own footage, which you know, some people might say that's self-indulgent, but first of all, I would do it. And second of all, I think you know most pro fighters should be doing that because that's, that's how you get better, right? Yeah, I like to think uh, I do that because it helps me get better. But the truth is, Ed, sometimes I walk by a mirror 
and I stop, Ed, and I get turned on for a second. So self-indulgence <laughs> is uh, nothing I'm trying to shy away from. Uh, then we have a lot in common, too, then. <laughs> huge narcissist, so. Mm-hmm. That's why I have a podcast, and that's why I don't let Sharon talk. <laughs> I'm also a narcissist, but what I pride myself on is silence. <laughs> nice. <laughs> We're off to a hot start. Alright, so let's talk about some fights, some MMA. Uh, what's nice is that even if we do go off the rails today, you can get in-depth analysis on uh, Jan Adesanya and Jan Sterling, different fighters. I'm going to pronounce them the same. Um, but you can get a, a lot of in-depth analysis on both those fights in our prediction panel, which is on YouTube. It's on all the podcasting platforms. I recommend watching it on YouTube if you can, because then you can see like me reacting to Ben Cohen's hot takes about how Aljamain <laughs> Sterling is, is more dangerous on the back than Damian Maya. Um, yeah, things, things of that nature. Uh, definitely things worth reacting to. And yeah, I think it's just uh, it's a just different experience to have everyone there and to see Dan Tom's beautiful face and Shuram playing with his hair. It's just, it's it's nice. Um, so yeah, check that out. It's it's gaining a little bit of traction on YouTube. I'm glad to hear it. It's probably because I put an obnoxious number of tags in the description, but hey, whatever works. And yeah, so there's that. And later in the week, I guess Friday probably, which will be tomorrow, based on the release schedule. You'll also have access to the Staff Picks article. I can't say how many people are contributing to it because <laughs> my staff is despicable and they're so lazy and they don't it's listen to It's so hard directions. to get everyone in one place. It's yeah, yeah, you'd be shocked. Um, I love them all. They're trying to they, herd cats. But they suck. Yeah, trying to herd cats is a good, a good expression. Um, so, you know, by Friday, <laughs> we'll have that out and they'll have a lot of analysis in it already. So you'll gain something out of it. And, uh, yeah, some, some new faces, some old faces, you know, just uh, a fun time for the whole family. So the in-depth analysis will be there. We're going to try to do that in this podcast, but, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to capture lightning in a bottle three times. You know, can't be perfect that many times in a row. But, yes, the main event of this card is a light heavyweight fight. It's middleweight champion Israel Adesanya moving up to challenge uh, Jan Blachowicz to get a second title at a second weight simultaneously, which is a rare feat, and uh, it's becoming more and more common these days because they're just letting anyone do it. Um, but I, I, I support Izzy doing it, and I definitely support it from middleweight to light heavyweight or light heavyweight to heavyweight because those divisions don't matter. Um, so, you know, do whatever you want with their titles. I don't care. And, yeah, it's... a. Uh, Admittedly, not a fight that I'm super interested in. Shriram, what's what's your initial read on this? I know we, we don't like to overanalyze this one because it seems relatively simple, right? Yeah, I'm in the same place. I don't really... Well, I'll start with this. I admire Jan Blachowicz because, uh, you know, it's always fun and inspiring to see a fighter go from, like, the complete mediocrity he was early in his UFC career to, like, a genuinely deserving champion at this point. Um, John Jones didn't beat Dominic Reyes and Jan Blachowicz did. And uh, Corey Anderson is probably a little bit more reliable than a lot of the guys in the UFC at this point. And uh, Blachowicz killed him. So there's a lot to like about Jan Blachowicz from a narrative perspective. I think less so from a technical perspective. Um, Because the way that he wins is routinely pretty messy and gross to watch. Um, (laughs) The the fight to point to there is obviously Jacare, but that's not really representative of what Jan does. Uh, What's a little bit more representative is arguably Reyes where a lot of what he did was, like, punching into these body kicks, but the way that he punched into them, he didn't, like, stay in stance or set up blitzes. 
he, he squared up, walked forward with punches, and then kicked him on the exits, which shows, like, you know, there's some intelligence to what he does, but not a ton of tightness of form. So, against someone who's A, smarter, uh, and B, tighter in form, it's going to be tough for Jan to win exchanges, especially when Jan's uh, route to getting those exchanges are, like, these marching blitzes that Robert Whitaker does way better. Uh, well, he doesn't march with them, but Adesanya was able to create... Uh, exchanges where he was in a good position and Whitaker was squared up just by angling away. So, like, handing Jan, uh, or rather, handing Izzy uh, a squared up opponent to hit isn't really a smart place to start for Jan Blachowicz, and I don't think he can avoid it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, unless there's, like, a surprisingly big offensive wrestling differential, which is something that we've never seen from Jan before, uh, this seems pretty open and shut. We're, we're cursing this fight. I'm, I'm down, though. I'm down to curse it. Yeah, Saram, I uh, I definitely agree with that. I think when you watch the Reyes fight as well, you see Reyes just freezing Jan a few times with uh, hip feints from the southpaw stance and then even getting in to land his left straight and his body kick a few times. And Man, if Dom Reyes is freezing you with feints and making you unsure, I, I can only imagine you know how much more difficult that's going to be with Izzy. I, I think uh, that's spot-on analysis. I mean, there's also, like, you could kind of see against uh, Tiago Santos, Jan Blachowicz lost a kicking match at range, uh, sprinted forward and got countered, and that's pretty much how Adesanya wins fights. So yeah, yeah. he's just better at kicking, better at countering, better at not getting hit than uh, Tiago. We'll talk about Tiago Santos later. but Yeah, yeah it's funny because, uh, you know, sometimes in these types of matchups we're like, okay, like, well, Izzy's going to mess you up if, you, if you're not perfect on the lead. Izzy's going to mess up if you sit back and you know, let him work on you. Um, how do you win? Um, so, like, how, how has someone won? How did Yo- Yoel Romero you know, rightfully win rounds one, two, and five to defeat Izzy uh, in, in their fight? <laughs> he, he basically, uh, did, it was as simple as didn't bite on the feints, pretty much. I mean, fundamentally, I think he's better defensively than most fighters Yoel is. I think he's sure. comparable to Jan. I think they, you know, they check kicks. <laughs> they, uh, they can utilize a high guard. Um, they can parry uh, things of that nature. I think he was a little bit better with the high guard, obviously, and you know, it's just a, a more intimidating person to be throwing against. So yeah, you're also uh, way more threatening on the counter. Yeah, and way more threatening on the counter. So uh, you know, a, a much tighter defense, which requires more opening up and more of a commitment, and then a bigger counter threat. So uh, it's not like Jan can just sit back and try to yoel him <laughs> with a little bit more kicking involved because I don't think he's gonna hold up. Uh, either on the back foot or, uh, you know, trying to react to Izzy or not react to Izzy. I, I just don't think he's there. Um, and, and reflexes were never really his strong suit. <laughs> it's just, that's not really where his game lies. I think he's going to have to be the one to try to take the lead. Um, and th- I, I, I think another backstep encounter is in Izzy's future and also in Jan's future. It's not the first time he's seen that. Um so yeah, I, I think it it plays really badly into to Jan's weaknesses, and it's just a really uphill matchup for him, which is language I used about the uh, the Jan Sterling fight as well. Um, I, I just think it's he's the one with all the pressure to have to overcome this tough style matchup, and is he can basically just do all the things he likes to do. Um, maybe the size will be a factor. Let's let's so part of having Jared here is it's really important that he can lend us you know, new insights or, you know, more specific insights into city kickboxing and those guys. Um, so let's, let's start with the basics. Uh, how big is Izzy? How big, man, he's a guy, it's kind of like John Jones. You see them on TV and you think, you know, maybe their legs look a little bit skinny and 
and maybe they do on, on TV, but these are guys that in real life, you know, you take them in and realize they're quite a bit bigger than you think they are. And that's the weird thing with Izzy, man, is he, he weighs what, you know, some big welterweight weighs. Like, I, I would be very surprised if he came in and weighed in above even, like, 200 pounds, 202 wow. pounds. He's probably right around there, 200 maybe. But uh, he's not, like, a small guy. He has that long frame we all know, and there's so much leverage there. But, I mean, he's sparring and wrestling with guys, you know, in the heavyweight division down to 170 pounders. Like, I, I really don't think the size will be a big issue. You know, we've seen him in King in the Ring go up to heavyweight and dispatch right. guys with ease. He's fought big, strong kickboxers. I, I really don't think uh, the size will be too much of an issue. I think the bigger story is the speed that will be the issue, you know, that Izzy's mm -hmm. going to have on his size, on his size, on his side, rather. <laughs> right, right. And it's not like Jan, like, historically muscles people or, like, uses his size no. very much. Yeah. I, think he, I think he's heavy. I think he's hard to move around. And that Jacare fight definitely made him look uncomfortable to clinch with. But Jacare is also a middleweight. <laughs> yeah and that size you know um could be an advantage if he gets on top situations like that but yeah. when you're fighting a guy like izzy who uses movement as a weapon you know like a lot of his game is about circling off and getting you to turn and face him and walking into strikes you know amongst other things but that's certainly a, a facet you know uh, something in his toolbox and that size will start wearing you out you know and you start turning in and and he's got a leg kick waiting for you or you turn in you're ready to check the leg kick and his right straights come and just the, the difficulty of dealing with that, I think the size almost ends up being a disadvantage and starts wearing a yawn mm -hmm. out even earlier than normal. That makes sense. Uh, I have another question. Sure, um, you can also ask questions about Izzy, but I'm going to roll. Uh, <laughs> so, You're the better um, interviewer. No, it's, it's uh, gen genuine curiosity, not even interview, really. Uh, whatever you want to call it. But uh, something else I have questions about with Izzy, because we just don't see it very often, uh, it's his wrestling. So you're a wrestler, you would know best. I just think in his fights, the looks we've had of him as a wrestler since his debut have been very limited, and when we do see it, his opponents usually aren't getting into those situations very favorably because of the way he strikes. It's hard to wrestle with him in the first place. Like, Yoel was shooting from way too far out. Kelvin was, like, half-dead walking through him, <laughs> or, like, uh, you know, super delayed reaction after grokking Izzy and stuff like that. So he's looked competent in the situations where he has had to wrestle. But I just haven't seen him like put in a tough spot and have to wrestle out of it since probably since his first fight or like the Vittori fight. So, uh, what what insight do you have to lend, if if any? Man, so I got to do. I knew I knew this question was coming up. Everyone wants <laughs> to know this. It's it's a good question. You know what I mean? It's it's the only thing that we really don't know. And uh, man, I I got to do some wrestling workouts with him, and one of which was me. I'm a Fargo qualifier. And, and another guy who's a, a judo black belt competed at, you know, an international level. We're both professional fighters, and it's us. And, man, all we're trying to do for, for the better half of an hour is take Izzy down. And the guy can wrestle. You know, it's a super underrated facet of his game. And is he the best, maybe, like, is he going to come out and blast double, you know, Jan Blackowitz? And is he going to look like Brock Lesnar? Is he going to look like Chael Sonnen or these guys who can just chain wrestle and work and yes. move? No. You know, he's not, he's not going to look like these guys, but he's excellent at what he needs to be excellent at, which is like, if you think you're going to come in and your first shot is going to finish this guy, you're in for a really long night. And if you are so athletic and so explosive and so skilled that you can get him down at your first shot, you're a lifelong wrestler like Yoel Romero, 
well, hopefully it was focused out because the man is excellent at getting back to his feet. You know, it's a really difficult thing to take Izzy down, and that pales in comparison to trying to hold him down. So I don't think the the secret with Izzy, you know, after the Vittori fight, people kind of seem to think, oh, man, if this Italian guy who's never wrestled, you know, can trip him and get him down and sit in his half guard, man, I think those holes were plugged up, and I think maybe some of that, too, was just his first time getting taken down in the octagon, but, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to be an, an easy guy to lean on the fence, to to hold on the fence, to take down, to hold down. I, I think anybody who expects to come in with that game plan is in for a rough night. Nice. Yeah. Uh, first of all, we support Italian wrestlers. Shout out Seth Patera. <laughs> uh, second of all, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the things that we have seen of Izzy's uh, wrestling, like, it's not a ton, as Ed mentioned, but you can also see, like, his habits in the clinch, for instance, are kind of inherently going to make it tough for guys to wrestle. Uh, the frame, mm-hmm. like, hitting off frames, fighting grips, and controlling wrists, that kind of stuff makes it, like, it's not wrestling for wrestling's sake, necessarily, but it does make it, and we'll talk about this with Jan Sterling, too. Uh, it's just, you know, the clinch interacts in weird ways. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I think uh, to bring up some some terms that I talk about a lot on my podcast that have driven me crazy because now everyone wants to bully me about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the term anti-wrestler, right? I, I think Izzy is one of the best examples of that in MMA. Uh, just the way he strikes makes it so hard to initiate wrestling situations with him. Like, you can't get your distance. You know, if you do you know, get him like in a compromised position on the back foot, you probably had to overextend yourself a decent amount. You're not in a good position to shoot on him we saw that with yoel and yeah and if you do get into space he has really good tools for dealing with that and also his strike selection you know maintains distance well with his jab can level change on things you know can use linear kicks uh gets offline really well i mean i mean a lot of things that made yeah the knee uh that's more yeah yeah that's that same thing right uh but then also he just it sounds like he's just a solid defensive wrestler and he's a solid clinch fighter so it all interacts together to make him just a very difficult person to take down, which is why I think if they ever do make that John Jones fight, uh, Jones is screwed. I, I yeah, think that's let's, a really, really hard fight for him. <laughs> I think the the simplest thing to understand about Izzy's wrestling too in MMA is uh, at right now, right? You and I were talking over the phone. Are you worried about me being able to take you down right now? I'm always worried about being taken down. You should be. Sure. You should be. But to be fair, it would be very difficult. Why? Because I can't, I can't touch you. We're not even close to each other. And, you know, the way Izzy strikes and the way he moves, it, it's a similar thing, you know. He doesn't have to worry about a lot of these guys even taking him down because, like you said, he's got him on the end of his reach. He's got him frozen. He's got him waiting on him. Like, Or if you get close enough, you're so out of position, you have no ability to, to shoot with any reasonable expectation to, to land in a good position. It's a difficult thing to deal with. Yeah. I think an important clarification to make is that a lot of we've seen a lot of fighters try to deal with wrestlers by staying long and, and try and keep them on the end of their reach. The difference is the ring craft and the defensive footwork. They they don't yes. have it, so they just end up conceding linear space like Dustin Poirier does or Justin Gaethje does. Like that's the issue. Is like a, the issue isn't how you're trying to strike with them. The issue is what you do when they push forward. And Izzy is a guy. We just posted a video uh, today of how he like uses the dart to reposition himself and how he frames off and pivots to reposition himself and he can you know slip off and do it. Uh, he has you know answers besides moving straight backwards when you push yeah. forward. Although sometimes he gets a little greedy uh, on the counter. I think that's usually when you see him heading straight back a little more often. And I think he, uh, he was a little too married to the idea versus Kelvin Gastelum. That's part of where this 
thing came from where people were like, oh, is he on the back foot? Um, but he's been much more disciplined in, in later fights. Uh, so, yeah, and I don't think even, like, on his best day, Jan is the guy to really test that theory. We've seen him, like, yeah. shoot a couple decent, not even, like, enthusiastic shots, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in the UFC. But I don't think he's much of a wrestler. Uh, but solid in the clinch, and, and you know, Luke Rockle didn't take him down. So, you know, there, there's a bar they cleared yeah. there. But <laughs> that's the end of my thought. I mean, what are, are we moving on to the next one? What do we have next? Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson. My take on this fight is uh, if, if you want to know what you should bet, how this one's going to go, go watch Amanda Nunes fight uh, Jermaine Durandamy and go watch Megan Anderson fight Felicia Spencer. Amanda's going to come out. She's going to jab her. She's going to duck. She's going to double leg her. And the fight's over. Yeah, I, I think it's that simple. I think it's a wrap probably in the first round. I think it's going to be an easy one for Nunes. Yeah, I think even that kind of gives Megan Anderson a bit too much credit because I'm not sure you're going to need to, like, jab and duck to get out of <laughs> um, You know, it's like you, you kind of touch her and she goes down. She got ho- she got samboed by Holly Holm, which isn't great. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't have a take on this. In terms of betting value, there is none. I'm pretty sure Nunes is, like, minus 1,000, if not more. Which makes sense. Uh, I don't really have strong feelings on Nunez against opponents I consider like broadly competent. I thought GDR was kind of a concerning showing, but uh, Megan Anderson, for all her similarities and being unable to wrestle, is not GDR. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's more or less how I see it. Although, you know, I, I think we can't rule out the possibility that Megan Anderson kicks her in the eye. You know, she <laughs> says it was Jackson <laughs> when she did it to Katzengano, but. You know, why would she admit it that it's something she works on and she's a master of the, the toe and the eye technique and she's been saving it uh, for this moment. So, you know, it could see could see an upset here via eye injury. What was fun is uh, in Chael Sonnen's, he put a recent video up on Megan Anderson and I, I had to click it. I wanted to see how, you know, the master of spin told us that this was an interesting fight and he made three points in her defense as to why she could be the one. And those three points, Ed, Saram, they were. She can give a punch. She can take a punch, and she weighs 145 pounds. And I thought, when that's what we're having to go to, you know, let's call a spade a spade, and let's move on to Peter Yan versus Aljamain Sterling. I was hoping she was going to weigh more than 145 pounds. That's Uh. (laughs) That's probably less than Nunez weighs. Yeah, that's just the division. You just got a bunch of warm bodies at this point for Nunez. Not warm enough. All right. (laughs) So... UFC Bantamweight title fight, my favorite fight in the card, the one I'm the most nervous about. I wasn't that nervous about it. I was feeling fairly neutral about it, although I was definitely preferring Jan. He's my favorite active fighter right now. Uh, but, you know, I think Aljo's great and, and a worthy contender, so I was like, I was fine. And then Ben freaking just went rogue and just like started <laughs> spinning all these crazy narratives. He started like two weeks ago. He's been like full steam ahead on this Aljamain Sterling thing and how Jimmy Rivera you know, is the rightful winner of the fight with Jan, except for the knockdowns, but that was cheating. Um, and he's he's just been going nuts, and now I feel all this pressure, because if Jan loses, then that means Ben Cohn's going to be insufferable, and he's already kind of annoying. So I just can't even <laughs> imagine, you know, what it's going to be like. So just, you know, for all of our sakes, for everyone, uh, you, you need Peter Jan to win just so you don't create a monster. Um, he's unstable. He's volatile. We can't enable him any further. Yeah, I mean, I support all pro Rivera narratives. Uh, that's not a correct one. So. 
You could just say I'm he looked torn. good in the fight. It's easy. It'd be nice to Very him true. without uh, spitting this grand conspiracy about <laughs> whatever. Actually, uh, Rivera hasn't lost a fight since Marias, in my opinion. Uh, he, we do have a friend who said that he beat Sterling at one point. So. Who said that? Uh, he who shall not be named. Oh, well, that guy had bad takes sometimes. Anyway, yeah. uh, Jared, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. Uh, who are you picking and, and why? Just get get right into it. I mean, so, definitely think Peter Jan takes this one. You know, I think... Um, I went back and I watched the Magomed, Magomedov fight just for fun. I went back and watched a lot of these guys' losses. And even in that fight, you know... First, after a watch, I really do think uh, you could score that fight for Jan. You know, it's mm-hmm. a really close fight. He's also only five fights into his career professionally at that point. Magomed already had 11. But you see Magomed, Magomedov have, what an awesome name, but have very little mm-hmm. success with the single leg, which is, to me, one of Sterling's best shots. Mm-hmm. Very little success against the cage taking him down. The best work he had came from, you know, over on body locks. And even then, we're talking about putting Jan down and him popping up. And to me, Sterling's not a guy who, you know, is like Dom Cruz, where their best work is, you know, in the blending of the striking and wrestling game. You know, like uh, Sterling's a guy who takes you down and he wants to keep you. It's like Damian Maya. They're not trying to use takedowns to open up their hands. Not even like Khabib, where the hands become more dangerous necessarily. Like their whole game is taking you down and getting your back and finishing you with a submission. And, I really feel like um, it's going to be a, a short night. Not a short night, sorry. A long night, rather, for Sterling. But, man, when guys are fresh, you know, and they're not sweaty, the jiu-jitsu is a lot more dangerous, like we saw in Sterling's fight with Sanhagen. And even in the Rivera fight, like, man, Sterling does a good job of getting on guys early and getting to good positions, especially against the fence, pushing them there, whether it's a single leg or a double leg shot, and working to his body lock, like, I think this is definitely like a fun one where you could see Sterling early get the jump on Jan, but I think it's probably going to be like a, a later round finish or a decision for Peter Jan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trum and I both picked Jan on the prediction panel, uh, laid out a lot of our thoughts there, but I just want to go along with stuff that you were saying uh, about, you know, the earlier the better for Sterling, really. And I think that's that's something else that's against him in this matchup is that that condition isn't totally there for him. Like, he's not... He, he pressured hard against Sandhagen, and we've seen him pressure before. But Sandhagen lets himself be pressured. He did it against yeah. Edgar, too. He backed straight up. So it's not like he actually had to deal with someone who was, you know, able to, you know, ward off pressure and counter. And Jan's the one who takes the front foot every single fight of his career. Um, and he's kind of a slow starter, not meaning that he's bad early, but that just he, he, he takes his time before he starts committing to things. And his overcommitments are usually what opens up those opportunities to, to wrestle with him. So I don't think it's going to be there quickly unless Sterling really goes for broke early and like you know opens himself up. I think that's a bad idea too. So yeah, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, I think the risk is basically all on Sterling. But yeah, that, that Magomedov, Magomedov fight, I just said his last name twice. Magomedov <laughs> fight, uh, the first one, is, is still a good look for Jan, even though he, he does get taken down, he does get wrestled, but considering how green he is... At yeah, that point, and he looks you, you beautiful should, in it. You should be very, very impressed with where he's at at that point. And then the rematch, it's like a whole, whole different guy. Uh, yeah. Even more impressive, and he has answers to every single thing that troubled him with regard to the wrestling. 
uh, from the first one, and he just puts on a beautiful display, and he strikes in a way that makes him very hard to wrestle. This is the topic of my po- uh, not my podcast, but yes, also the podcast, but uh, my article this week. I, I get to write articles again. I, I have some free time, so my first one back is about uh, you know, Jan's defensive wrestling from those two fights, and uh, he talked about the body lock, and Sterling is good at punching his way into into the butt, into like over under locks and such, and he has a good Polish throw from there. But uh, in the rematch, you saw uh, Magomedov get a pretty tight lock uh, against the cage, and he went to you know pull him off and, and throw him. And he has him dead to rights, and Jan just doesn't even <laughs> give up any ground, like fully plants himself and, and bases off and wizards and, and turns in and doesn't get thrown. And it's like he he's too good, like he learns too fast. Um, and I. I had a, a small interaction with uh, one of his coaches, George Hickman, on Twitter, and uh, I think Frank. So did I? Frank wrestled. Yeah, I got to I got to train with uh, Frank at City Kickboxing. Yeah. He was up there with Volkanovski for a camp. I was gonna say shout out to him when we we're talking about Izzy wrestling because I think he's one of one of his main coaches. Man, he's a great coach. And what's awesome about the Hickman brothers? Um, it's like they. I think George's twelve professional MMA fights. Like they get oh, nice. that rare mix where these guys are. NCAA wrestlers, but they have a level of understanding of striking the spot. You know what I mean? You're not yeah. just getting a guy who, who's trying to show you what what he would do in a wrestling match. Instead, you really get that full mixed martial arts look. And yeah, the, those guys run uh, awesome classes, man. It was awesome to get to train under Frank. Yeah, you can tell they know their stuff. That camp is really, really well run, and uh, Tiger Muay Thai uh, especially. Like you, you see a mm-hmm. lot of really well rounded guys. They're like strikers becoming wrestlers you know wrestlers becoming strikers and 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 so on uh but yeah i I posted a clip of uh of the second fight there's a moment where jan uh has magomedov against the cage and uh magomedov puts up the high guard and jan just starts touching on his forearms like really quick touches and and level changes and and fakes and gets real twitchy and, and increases his rhythm and then drops into this beautiful like full level change hits the knee on a double leg and lifts him off the cage he did that in the first fight too the lift but his entries looked beautiful um and i was like there's no way that he didn't get taught that way (laughs) like that's definitely something they taught him and he's just like a sponge and he picked it up and i said like is this you're doing and i tagged him he said nope that was all him like (laughs) he just got this like crazy intuition about combat sports he can figure stuff out and i think that's what's misleading some people because uh, I went back and I watched all his UFC fights recently. I did a lot of my Jan talking before rewatching everything, so I had forgotten about some of the times that he looked more vulnerable in a wrestling sense. Uh, but honestly, it made me more confident to see him like when he got taken down, when he didn't get taken down, and just how deep people were getting in on him because of his recklessness <laughs> and how he managed to wrestle his way out of all but like three of those situations in his entire UFC career. Like He, he got away out every time. Uh, and the worst look of it was the Jinsu Sun fight, which is you know the oldest one of the ones where he was wrestling. It really never got like that again, and that's the only one where it wasn't like Jan doing something crazy and like completely leaving himself open. Sun just blast doubled him, but honestly, that's not Sterling's skill set. Um, that's not you know the kind of positions he'd get. He's not the same type of athlete, uh, which is weird to say because he's more athletic than Jinsu Sun. But uh, it's just I, I don't think he can give the same look. But regardless, yeah, he looked really, really good in all these situations in his other fights. So I think people are seeing him, you know, give up a couple takedowns to, you know, John Dodson of all people. But, you know, or like, you know, have Jimmy Rivera, like chasing the, the angle on his back, uh, what have you. But you have to look at 
how they ended up there. It was Jan doing something crazy and completely opening himself up and uh, just not caring. And you contrast that with the Magomedov rematch where he was super disciplined. He fought strikers in all of these matchups in the UFC. You know, some of them had wrestling bases, but they're not wrestlers in their fights in favor Don at this point. And also that's where it wasn't much of a test for him. Um, so, you know, against strikers, he's way more willing to open himself up and like chase and overcommit and try to like really you know power people out early. Uh, and that's, that's not what he did against Magomedov in the rematch. And I just have to trust that he is aware of the way he fights. He seems like a really, a really smart fighter. Like he adjusts and fights and he, he makes, uh, he makes changes, and I, I think he's going to recognize what he needs to do in this fight and do basically what he did in the Magomedov rematch, the way he maintained space. We're talking about anti-wrestling. Uh, the, may, the way he made it difficult uh, to put him in bad spots or to put him against the cage. He was brilliant at never letting his back be on the cage. Uh, he, he turned, when they clinched up, he turned them off. When they were striking, he found ways to create that distance. Even when he had Magomedov near the cage, he was super aware of like not getting tied up and not letting him turn things around. Uh, so I think he's going to be the one that pressures Sterling. I think he's going to keep him uncomfortable. I think he's going to keep him taking shots he's not comfortable with. Uh, sort of like the Munoz fight. People are saying the Munoz fight isn't a great look for... Uh, we just lost Jared. <laughs> People are saying the Munoz fight isn't a great look. Uh, it isn't, isn't that important because Munoz you know, was a way better grappler than Jan and you know Sterling might not have necessarily wanted to take him down but he was still shooting out of you know out of the pressure you know the pressure was making him shoot even if he didn't want to uh so against Jan he's he's not gonna be able to pick it whenever he wants to I think it's gonna be a similar deal where he's uncomfortable trying to initiate these wrestling situations that's just gonna open him up even more and uh take away his, his gas tank a little bit um but yeah we lost Jared during my rambling <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I can take I scared over, him I off. guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm pretty much in the same place in terms of the wrestling. I think Jan's uh, slow start is probably a danger here because it's uh, when he gets going, he fights in a way that doesn't make it easy to back him up just because there's so much distance to back him up. Uh, he's always the one on the front foot controlling his center once it gets past a certain point. But early, I think Sterling might have a chance to fluster him. The issue there, again, is the clinch. Um, I think Jan is uh, a better clinch striker for sure, Probably better positionally in the clinch, aside from if Sterling's able to get a body lock or get to the waist lock. Uh, we have seen Sterling just like blitz his way to those positions in the past, but also like Jan is a lot more diligent at uh, controlling the wrist when he's on the inside. Uh, he's very good at collar ties and hitting on the break. And I think his edge in the pocket is going to be a pretty decent uh, way for him to control the entries. Uh, once the fight gets a little bit deeper, that is, I don't think uh, Sterling's going to be able to be the one to uh, you know, duck under and grab a clinch or that kind of thing. I think uh, Jan's going to be the one who uh, draws out Sterling's reactions and starts grabbing him if he wants to do that. Uh, as for the striking, I think there are a lot of people who both underrate and overrate Sterling's striking at this point. I think Sterling's a, a, a very effective volume striker at this point. He does that volume kicky thing. Uh, his counterpunching has become relatively effective, as we saw against Pedro Munoz's iron head. And um, <laughs> the jab eventually held Munoz off in that third round. Uh, against... Um, Jimmy Rivera, he did a really nice thing understanding the range of the fight, where Rivera is kind of uh, limited in terms of the range that he wants to fight in. Uh, so Sterling just either hung out really far away at range and volume kicked him, or he was all the way in in the clinch and didn't really give Rivera the range where he's most effective. So th th there are things that Sterling does that are fairly intelligent as a striker, but I think that he's pretty outgunned in the pocket in terms of form. Uh, he's outgunned in terms of craft as well. Um, 
we did see against Pedro Munoz, Sterling struggling with the bodywork. Uh, the five rounds thing is a place where I think Jan has a market advantage, but especially yeah. with the bodywork, uh, because Sterling pretty much ate everybody, kicked him yeah. through, and Jan is pretty mean with the, the bodywork in general. And yeah, I think the pressure is a reliable way to beat Sterling over five rounds, if not three. Uh, Pedro Munoz had a generally good go of it, despite being a lot more plotting and a lot worse at covering distance than Peter Yan. So, you know, Munoz kind of had to concede the distance that Sterling wanted, uh, where Yan probably doesn't. So, yeah, I I'm picking Yan, but I don't like the fact that it's a 3 0 Yan panel probably shouldn't make you think that this is a, a wide fight. It's yeah. just, you know, all of us are favoring him fairly narrowly, I think. Yeah, we were split on the prediction panel, so, you know, don't, don't get too too excited there people that are, want, want us to think that we're super biased i am super biased but not all of us are so i'm very biased but also my favorite <laughs> bantamweight lost to the guy who lost to sterling but also beat sterling so hmm yes so Ron, who is your favorite bantamweight rafael Sonsao. it's an interesting choice I know. <laughs> it's it's a pure hipster choice but he's also very cool uh he's unique sharon with his uh the I'm fighter special, that he likes is the world's biggest Michael Johnson fan? I used to be. Now he's dead. He's the world's only. The world. uh, he, he's he's carrying all that weight. He's carrying the whole team. Um, yeah. So that that's a really cool fight. We definitely talk a lot about that in a lot of places. So I don't want to focus on it too much. I spent the entirety of my podcast this week uh, talking about that as well. Wrestling for MMA. Good plug there. And yep. Yeah, so let's let's move on because there's actually a lot of interesting fights in this card, and I'd like to talk about. Yeah, most of them if we can. Um, I don't have a ton to say about this one, but Islam Makhachev versus Drew Dober, it's like kind of funny because Makhachev has fought a, a decent number of like tough guys. Um, like I think Tebow's tough, and <laughs> I think you know Armin Sarukian's tough, and I think in certain matchups Davi Hamosh is tough. But like this isn't really a step up in competition. Um, it's kind of a similar level of guy, but I think... Um, Considering the win streak that Dober is on, this is the most significant fight. I mean, your, your latest fight is almost always your most significant fight when you're younger in your career uh, and you're winning. Uh, so yeah, I think this is a big spot for both of them. I, you know, big big things await the winner. Um, and obviously, Makhachev has a ton of hype on him right now because he's allegedly Khabib's uh, heir apparent, which I think is dumb. They don't actually sure. fight that similar, and I don't think he's as as good. Um, <laughs> uh, either way, it's going to be a cool test, just because it's you know a guy who's going to be tough to strike with, a guy who's going to be dangerous, but also a guy who got out wrestled by Benil Darius. So um, I don't think we're going to learn a ton in that case, but it's still a test um, nonetheless, and you know it's just a, a either a stepping stone or. Uh, just another great win for Dober, and we're all we're all aboard the Dober train. Uh, you know, I, I wish nothing but good things for Drew Dober. So, uh, h how do you fellas feel about the matchup? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm in the same place. I think well, obviously I want Drew Dober to win, as uh, I've been in love with him ever since he showed up to our interview shirtless. But <laughs> I think it's a tough matchup for him, given all we've seen from him. Uh, as you mentioned, the Benil Daryush fight. I, I believe at one point the finish. Came after he like gave up an underhook for no reason after he was holding Benil off his hips, which is a, a weird thing to do. He didn't really do anything with the hand he was underhooking with, so it's just he's not the most comfortable wrestler out there. He's not the most comfortable grappler out there. 
On the other hand, he is pretty dangerous in the pocket, and that means that we might see Mahachev be a little bit more cautious in closing the distance. On a third hand, I don't have a third hand. Uh, on the third <laughs> hand, um, Mahachev doesn't tend to fight like a, the, Ed mentioned this. He doesn't tend to fight like Khabib did, where he pressures and pushes guys back. Uh, Islam's more of an outside kicker, which means that Drew Dober is probably going to be the one uh, who has to do the work to cover distance, which means that it could give Mahachev some easy entries. Uh, if Dober's trying to cover distance with like those uh, lever punching he does or you know jabbing in, he had to track down Alex Hernandez, which was pretty impressive because he eventually did track him down and beat the crap out of him. But I think Mahachev is a lot more of a threat to level change and actually keep Dober there. So yeah, I think Dober is kind of limited here in terms of his avenues. Um, if he can like pressure without getting taken down, that would be nice. But also he got taken down by like a completely out of it Alex Hernandez. So it's tough. Uh, go Dober, but it's going to be Mahachev for me. Yeah, I'm going to defer to Saram's expertise here. I think that uh, encapsulated the fight pretty well. Cool. I'm glad, because I didn't have anything to say about it. <laughs> Let's move right along. Uh, big, big kicky boys uh, at light heavyweight, Tiago Santos and Alexander Rakic. And to, to do some context again, like I did, I'm just in, in context mode. Um, in a divisional sense. Tiago Santos is still probably like a win or two away from a title shot because let's be honest, he beat John Jones because you don't score on optics, you score on offense, and Santos had the better offense the entire fight. Uh, and then he lost to Glover Teixeira in a fight that he uh, really had no business losing, to be honest, but he, he managed to find a way, and uh, Glover's a hero. He snatched <laughs> defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah, it's a just the Overeem special. Did that in the Anthony Smith fight too? No, he won the Anthony. Anthony Smith is the one who snatched defeat uh, in that fight. Anyway, uh, I think he could still like get a title fight based off one win. Honestly, the division's not that great. So, uh, and his last one is the champ. Yeah, exactly. So I think he isn't in a good position here. I think he didn't take a lot of head damage against Glover. I don't think so. It's not like he's going to be any more or less out of his prime. I don't know his training habits, but I think he's about that same guy. So I think he can still be a threat for another couple of years. Uh, you know, he'll beat Izzy, obviously, because uh, he kicks, and that is Izzy's weakness. And <laughs> he's fighting Rakic, who is big and strong and kind of good in the clinch and is an enthusiastic and willing kicker. And he's learning how to wrestle, and he top-gained Anthony Smith. But I think anyone who thinks he's like the guy or like good for a regular division man we said we weren't gonna do this anymore i'm on i'm the culprit every time nice this entire podcast yeah i'm I'm being so mean i'm being so mean um but yeah i just think he has a lot of flaws i wrote an article about it uh before the manual fight like his strengths and weaknesses evaluating him and he hasn't really seemed to have gotten any better with his weaknesses mostly just strengthened his strengths a little bit which i think is good um a good thing to do so uh i i don't think he is the wrestler people think he is i don't think he's gonna wrestle tiago santos super reliably and i think they're gonna have a mid-range kickboxing match and uh beats me who would win that but i think i favor santos just because i've seen him to hurt people on the feet a lot yeah i don't have a real take on this one pretty much anything that i could say uh, ed covered and anything i could say is just like really broad things um Rakic is, so Rakic really got his hype beating the crap out of Justin Ledet, 
which was pretty impressive. But the fight before that was pretty unimpressive against Francis Barbosa. I don't, I haven't rewatched it because it's a Barbosa fight, but also uh, I don't remember it being particularly good in terms of boxing. A lot of Rakic's best moments are like punching into kicks, which is how he beat Jimmy Manoa, but also like he's not a good boxer in general. Um, Devin Clark hurt him, which was weird. Uh, he ended up finishing him with like a counter back fist, which is just a flail. Like there are a lot of problems with Rakic's game. Um, a gross counter back fist, not to interrupt, but that was disgusting. <laughs> yeah, that was disgusting. Uh, it, it didn't even make any sense. It was like it wasn't even a spinning back fist. He just kind of like pimp slapped him, but. Yeah, I think Tiago Santos is like the crazier guy here. Um, probably the one who throws a little bit more volume, but also probably a little bit more fragile. Uh, I don't want to forget that Tiago Santos got murdered by David Branch. That was down at middleweight, but it's still a thing. I've, I've already forgotten about that. Has happened. Uh, I mean, David Branch is the best. I call him David Tree, but wow. Goliath Tree. That's, that's the joke. Uh, it's still not that uh, good of a sign up a division, which makes it pretty surprising that he's had so much success, uh, along with Anthony Smith, but I think a great deal more impressive, since um, he beat Jan Blachowicz, who was pretty solid, and he beat John Jones, who is pretty solid. Um, so, yeah, I want to favor Santos, I just don't really, like, trust him in any fight at this point, just because he's so uh, wild, like, he's just, a, a lot of Santos's appeal is just entropy, and we saw that against uh, Glover Teixeira, where he just nearly killed him twice two different instances, and then managed to lose the fight anyway in the same way both times. So it's it's a close fight just because that's what Santos does. Jared, do you have thoughts? Guys, if I could just have one second, please. I'm real sorry. I got a, a little thing going on. It won't take more than a couple minutes. Okay. No problem. Do your thing. Let's move on to Dominic Cruz versus Casey Kenny. Uh, to you, is this like a is Cruz shot fight? Mm, somewhat. I think I think Kenny would always be, like... So one weird thing about Cruz is that a lot of the guys that he's faced outside of, like, Joseph Benavides haven't been particularly representative of the new meta, if that makes sense. Yeah. And Casey Kenny is pretty representative of the new meta in a way that I think uh, Dominic Cruz might have had a bit messier of a fight in his prime than I think we would have expected. Uh, the fight that I'd point to here is Casey Kenny against the Haile Alatang which was the fight where he kicked the crap out of him from Southpaw, like really pressure kicked him uh, and counterpunched. He was like, it was kind of Luke Rockholdy, except he was a lot better in combination off that check hook. So, and he really, he like 30-20-1'd him, uh, which was really <laughs> impressive. It was like a 34. So, I think it's a fight where Cruz might struggle generally on the feet, just because I think Cruz is striking is a lot less effective than people think uh, outside of the wrestling threat. But the wrestling threat is something that he should have here, given the yeah. Marab fight. Um, Kenny, I think I thought Kenny won the Marab fight on rewatch. Uh, the first time I was pretty unsure, just because like Kenny had one really good round where he got taken down a bunch, and then two slightly worse rounds where he got taken down a bunch. But um, Kenny still did a lot of work in that fight, but Cruz is a lot better on top than Marab. Like, he's actually designed to do things on top. Yeah. Uh, he's better at shooting takedowns, better than pretty much anyone in the sport at setting them up. So, it's a it's a tricky fight. I think I'll go with Cruz, but I don't think it's a... Is Cruz completely done? It's just... If Cruz has declined even a bit, it's going to be pretty tough. Yeah. I, I feel like Cruz from the Dillashaw fight to his last fight, is physically more or less the same guy. Um, I think the reason why he didn't look so great in the Cejudo fight was because of Cejudo. 
Yeah. Um, I think that would always be really, really tough for him, especially Kiki. Kiki Cejudo, which has existed since the Benavidez fight, so even if he fought the Cejudo of the Benavidez fight, I think he'd be in for a rough time. So, with that out of the way, if he is any more physically degraded than that, because I already think that's not his physical prime, because his physical prime was back when he fought Faber in the rematch in the UFC. But he had that long layout. Oh, then he fought um, DJ. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that that era of Cruz is probably physical prime, technique prime, when the, the closest uh, the closest match between the two. And I think with Cruz, those two things are a lot more closely connected than with other fighters, just because his style is so athletically demanding. Um, it, yeah, that's why his body is breaking <laughs> at all times. Um, so yeah, any less you know lessened ability to do that is going to be rough for him. But Casey Kenny definitely a tough matchup from the feet. A guy that can counter punch and round kick and keep a pace. Um, I think that's all really tough for Cruz, just in terms of one keeping up with him and two punishing what he does. Um, <clears throat> plus, he you know pressures pretty constantly, so that's already a reason to get him on the back foot and walking him into those round kicks, which is what the strategy has been all along. Really, it's funny that Cody Gar- Garbrandt didn't beat him that way, but uh, Joseph mm-hmm. Benavidez in the rematch, there was definitely an argument that he beat him that way. Um, like yep. hooking off his exits and round kicking off his exits, especially the legs, which is what we saw from Dillashaw later. So I think Kenny's capable of replicating a similar game plan. I don't think he's the same kind of athlete as those guys. I don't think he's quite as fast, but uh, he makes up for his speed with the uh, durability and, and pace. So I think he can make it tough for him. But like Sharam said, my main concern for Kenny is just getting taken down a bunch, <laughs> especially <laughs> going to be pressuring that hard. You have probably one of the best at setting up reactive takedowns in the UFC. I think, you know, GSP had better reactive takedowns and timed them very well and his setups are simpler but you know Cruz's whole striking shtick really really <laughs> plays into you know angle changes into doubles which is you know a way easier position to hit a double from so things like that and the knee tap and uh you know his ability to ride as a wrestler you know a good top game uh you know blends it well with his jiu-jitsu he can put hooks in he can he can do the whole thing um it is very fundamentally solid as a grappler and you don't see it all the time because a lot of his wrestling was a good against Faber and Benavidez, who are two of the best off bottom in the sport. Um, so yeah, there's that. But I, I think if he's anything similar to that, and I feel that as he gets older, he'll focus more and more on trying to like not need as many takedowns and you know just try to get one and you know, ride out around and be more of a grappler. Um, like against uh, Takeya Mizugaki, he got to his wrestling right away after that long layoff and, and took him out on the ground. Um, so I don't know. I think I think he'll prioritize that. I think even if he's a little bit shot, he could still replicate that game plan. Um, but, yeah, it could be one where he looks physically just not the same and his ideas aren't working as well and he gets walked down and gets dragged into a really ugly fight where he gets you know, swingy in the pocket. And his pocket work is pretty bad these days. Um, Cejudo and him both looked bad in the pocket in their fight, I thought. I thought that, that was poor form from Cejudo as a boxer, um, but he looked good otherwise. Um, and, and Cruz like disgusting in the pocket, and it was still hitting him. Had <laughs> uh, his really wide head down punches, and, and was still landing and, and kind of winning those pocket exchanges, which is not something I think I would hear myself say before. Uh, and pretty so, normal for Cruz in terms of form. Yeah, yeah, normal for Cruz, and not normal for Cejudo. So I think that this could be an ugly, crazy fight, and we could see some habits exploited just because they're much more exploitable when you slow down and your durability starts to go. So uh could be an easy fight, you know, depending on how, how he's functioning and, and 
how the ground matchup works because you know but despite Kenny getting taken down a lot of times versus Rob and uh who else took him down Ray Borg Ray Borg um, yeah he got up a lot so we'll see we'll see how good of a scrambler he is most likely so I, I'm looking forward to checking it out um and seeing where Cruz is at and uh you know give him a little bit of a break man because he's fought the best guys in the world pretty much every fight uh for the past decade of his career so uh hey guys uh i'm back in i'm a i'm sorry about that i had a promoter hit me up they needed to bring me some tickets i had to talk to her for a minute um about the matchup a little bit but on casey kenny and dominic cruz did you guys see the uh the controversy regarding casey kenny uh and his comments on megan what did you guys think about that which i thought I'm not mad that he expressed his opinion. Like, I'm not one of these people who are like, don't you dare comment on her attractiveness. But the idea that, you know, you wouldn't... Casey Kenny is not the, you know, God's gift to women, exactly. And so the audacity of him saying, like, man, maybe if it was 4 a.m. and I was blackout, it's like, man, if it was 4 p.m. and you were lucky, then maybe you would have. So I I thought that was really silly by him, but a hubris. Yeah, I think there's a difference between like weighing in on a woman's attractiveness, which is probably already not great uh, if we're being sure. honest. But sure, yeah. Podcast, I, not that I don't do it, but it's just like it's already <laughs> it's already like a, a a fine line. But to be that disrespectful, um, like not even just saying like oh she's not my type. He was like, yeah, maybe if I was super like the way he said it was so. Yeah, like, yeah, shitty. a little bit, of, a lot of arrogance there. But I I would have wished to see him. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world to see him maybe stand his ground on that, and he might have gotten a few, uh, not necessarily fans, but maybe some people that would care to see him lose. I think most people are really going to be tuning into the fight to watch Dom Cruz. Maybe that was at least an opportunity to get someone to care about him. (sighs) Now everyone, no, not everyone, but now a bunch of people don't like him who previously probably didn't have opinions formed of him, so uh, not the best first impression. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and the and funny thing going is... Going on TV and calling someone ugly is going to create an uncomfortable work environment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that, that's the thing, like you said, like there's a lot of people who, who dislike him, but I don't know that that really extends itself to hate. So it's not like you're pulling a Floyd Mayweather where we're going to yeah. pay to see you lose. You're, you're kind of just making people think you're a bit of a dickhead, but not even that good at it. But he's a good fighter. Yeah, I like watching him fight. Um, but I thought he was just like a normal dude other than that, but yeah. Maybe a little bit. If you're hanging out with Sean O'Malley, this, you know, chances are uh, yeah. you're going to say something stupid because that's... Man, you know what? That was funny. You're stupid for hanging out with Sean O'Malley. <laughs> the, only thing, uh, the only thing possibly dumber than Casey Kenny's comments were maybe Sean O'Malley saying that he would simply not get addicted to heroin. Yeah. As if the problem with the heroin addiction is these people are just accidentally making the mistake of becoming addicted as that was he's holding his newborn baby he's talking about oh you know i would do it i'm not a pussy but i'm not gonna get addicted like some loser maybe don't though maybe don't take heroin at all because you're holding your newborn baby maybe just raise him yeah yeah we don't like sean o'malley (laughs) Are, are we not fans of sean o'malley here uh no i don't think so well, i can get down with that listen how you guys roll is how i roll are there any are there any mma journalism entities that, that we're at odds with as well hmm that's a good question do we have enemies sure i don't believe we have enemies i mean you work for bloody elbows so we can't hate them yeah um, i mean we can't hate them anyway but that's we just can but i don't want you to we could yeah i was gonna say i mean if there's anybody <laughs> we could roll up on them 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I can't think of anybody. Just Twitter as a, as a whole. We hate you guys. Stand out. We hate. Stand we're anti Twitter. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Everyone can you know get lost. We don't need you. You're our entire base, but you know we don't. <laughs> yeah. We're better than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, fights. Uh, we've been going for a while, so I'm gonna skip over Song Yudong versus Kyler Phillips. Leon, I'm so sorry. Um, I, I never talk about your boy, but I'm not gonna this time. When he's in a more interesting fight, we will. Uh, so Joseph Benavides versus Ascar Ascara. This is another one that's like how shot is the veteran. <laughs> because we think it's a matchup that he could definitely win in his prime. Uh, I, have, I have concerns. I have concerns, like with regards to like why why would Joe B being shot make him not able to win this matchup? Uh, Askarov, despite his appearance, I think is actually kind of physical and has hands a little bit. I'm not saying he's a good boxer, but he can hit hard uh, and he can throw loose and, and he can he can let it go. And I think he rocked uh, Moreno. And Elliot. Um, and Elliot, he, he knocked out Elliot. Um, <laughs> he knocked out Elliot, and then Elliot woke back up while he was falling over and caught himself and didn't fall over. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, so he knocked out Elliot and then still lost a round to him afterward. Um, but yeah, I think he can hit hard, and if Joe B's reflexes are going, if his chin's going, uh, it's not like he had the most defensively responsible style in the first place, and a lot of it was made up for by like the, just the crashing speed. It was just hard to counter him because of the way he was coming in and, and how he timed it. Um, but I don't think Ascara was like much of a counter puncher, but yeah, we'll just see how the striking matchup ends up playing out. But so I think it's it's a bit dangerous on the feet, even. Uh, otherwise, you know, is Joe B going to be the one to offensively wrestle? I think the uh, Ascara was a little better than that, although he did get taken down by the same hip throw from Tim Elliott off the underhook. Um, multiple times <laughs> so that's not the best look but i i don't think joby's taking him down so if askarov doesn't want to grapple and he can deal with him on the feet that's tough um if they do grapple i think actually joby will be fine um i, I think Oscarov's a good grappler i'm not unimpressed with him but just the way people talk about him i was expecting something more you know when i watch his fights with elliot and uh, moreno and uh what was the other one do you remember? Pantoja? Pantoja. Yeah, I mean, those yeah. are all good grapplers, but, well, Tim, Tim Elliott's not really a good grappler. That's kind of the thing, is that he had competitive fights with those other guys who were good grapplers, but he also had a competitive fight with Tim Elliott, who uh, got pretty thoroughly outgrappled by Brandon Royville, like, right after that. So I don't think Askarov's, like, a leg above anyone as, as a grappler with regard to the guys who were decent in that division. So I think Joby will be fine. I think that that's probably not going to go anytime soon that ability to, to defend himself and get up on the ground but I, I don't know I think things would get kind of ugly on the feet but we haven't seen with uh we haven't seen Oscarov deal with a striker who's like Joby not even just like of his quality but just that's similar to him at all um so we'll see how he deals with uh, like the kicking game and uh you know let's see what weapons open up from the stance switch if that's more comfortable for him but I think we you know we could see like a nice pressure performance from Joby like a you know pressure kicking uh, open side stuff like he did against uh, Formiga in the rematch. I think that that could be an option. Would you like to see Benavidez retire? I I don't know. Like if he wins this one and doesn't look like he's someone who needs to retire, um, I could see him doing a couple more and, and just you know testing the waters and see if he you know can regain some sort of form. But uh, after the Figueredo fight, the second one. I, I was ready for him to retire after that, but now that he's already got a fight book, I'm like, well, let's see what's going on. 
uh, and then we'll make a <laughs> then we'll make an evaluation. But if he was going to retire, I think the right time to do it would have been after he got murdered uh, like four times in one fight by by Figueredo. Crazy, scary yeah. stuff. Speaking of Figueredo, too, uh, Oklahoma native Jimmy Flick is going to fight Figueredo's little brother. I believe it's Francisco yeah. Figueredo coming up. Um, Jimmy Flick's been on a tear in the the UFC since his contender series fight. Super entertaining fighter. So you guys should definitely. Uh, I'll keep an eye out for that one. There's a little plug for my guy, Jimmy the Brick Flick, because his game is solid all over. It was cool. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, he was getting, uh, it was going to be a tough fight, it looked like. And then he did the old throw a head kick, have them catch it, flying triangle, and tap them out move that everybody trains all the time. But, yeah, in terms of Benavidez retiring, I think. Figueredo is kind of a tough way to gauge that just because he's like such a complete destroyer. Um, he's like generally tough to look good against. Like Moreno didn't, Perez didn't, um, Benavidez both. Like Benavidez round one was like a generally successful round for him in a way that I don't think anyone else can like replicate, but I also don't think Benavidez can do that again. So it's, it's a tough moment for him in his career. He's like lost twice to a bunch of guys. Um, so. I wouldn't hate to see him retire. He's like in a small division and he's getting older. But I think Askarov is pretty winnable. As uh, Ed mentioned, Benavidez is still immensely tough to control on the ground. Figueredo pretty much killed him in the first like minute of the fight and still couldn't lock down the back or get a re-naked choke. So uh, he still has that skill set going for him. I think Benavidez probably has more success uh, against someone who's not as accurate and powerful on the counter, which Figueredo is probably like the only... Uh, guy of that type at his division at this point. So, yeah, I think it's a tough fight for a guy who needs to wrestle. Uh, Askarov didn't beat Brandon Moreno, and that was a very scrambly fight, if I remember correctly. So that bodes well for Joseph Benavidez, who's better at scrambling than both. And, I mean, the striking... Askarov had a pretty decent jab-left-hook thing against uh, Tim Elliott, but Elliott's also, like, way more defensively liable and less threatening on the counter than Joe Benavidez, like, in pretty much every way. So it's going to be a it's gonna be a tricky fight for Askarov if he can't just... Uh, be younger and win that way. Jared, I, I have need for your expertise again. So, uh, Colin France, he's fighting uh, Rogerio Bontarine, who's a pretty strong, uh, athletic top player in uh, Jiu Jitsu. So, first of all, what do you think of Kai Kara France overall? And how do you think he deals with someone who's definitely going to try to wrestle and grapple with him? Well, first, uh, let me tell a little story about uh, Kai Kara France, man. My first day at City Kickboxing. When I went up there with those boys in Auckland, they're doing a drill and they have like a, a, a little specific way they like to run some of their practices. And once you're up there, you know, you, you become a, a cog in their system. You understand how it all works. You know where to go, when to go, what means what. And there was one of these uh, little practices they were running. And I think he could tell from the look on my face, you know, that I didn't really understand what we were doing. And he came over and introduced himself and you know, just help me understand the drill and stuff. And so I always have a lot of respect for Kai Kara France because, you know, he's a star in the UFC. He's a star locally. You know, a lot of guys like that, they're the big dog in the gym. They don't really have time to, you know, go out of their way to meet someone new and be kind, show kindness, whatever. So I like him a lot as a person, as a fighter, man. He's good, too. I, I'm glad. I think those guys over there, you know, they're not the best offensive wrestlers, but I think even Kai Kara, even Brad Riddell. Riddell's, though, is a surprisingly good offensive wrestler, but... I think these guys are really, really difficult to hold down. And like we talked about earlier, the work they do with guys like Frank Hickman and, you know, all the fighters who come through there, I, I think we're going to see, you know, throughout that whole camp, 
you can beat them. You know, they're human beings, but we're not going to see a lot of guys just taking them down and holding them there. Kai Kara can probably get taken down, but I, I think especially with his scrambly, uh, his scrambliness, you know, he's going to be able to get up on a lot of these guys. I think it's going to be a, a hard night out to just hold him down, but that doesn't mean, you know, the takedowns can't come out and affect his striking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like the times that I can think of recently where he kind of got dragged into grappling with people he didn't want to grapple with, it was mostly because of the nature of the striking matchup. So it's kind of what I was talking about with uh, Peter Jan before, that like it's different when you're fighting a striker versus fighting a grappler. Like you approach it differently, uh, you, you fight a different way, and you know those situations might not actually be as easy to produce when he knows you're the grappler and you're, that's that's what you're doing. So um, I wouldn't make harsh judgments just based on like the fact that he got that he grappled with Royville uh, unwillingly or you know mistakenly, you might call it. Um, but yeah, that's good. That's good insight, and I think you know, while while you have the mic, uh, everybody's favorite, uh, Kennedy and, and Chuck Wu, who had really terrible fights in the UFC so far, is fighting uh, the, the 3-0, and very you know relatively inexperienced debutante, uh, Carlos Olberg, who is uh, also a city kickboxing guy, I believe. Uh, and, and I think Jared has a lot of things to say about him, including that he's very hot. Man, let me tell you something about Carlos Olberg. There's really three things you need to be aware of. Okay, keep your hands up, keep your chin down, and keep your girlfriend the hell away from him. This man, first of all, is gorgeous. They call him Mr. Marvelous, and it's not, it's not satirical. Uh, he, he fits that nickname very well. But, man, he, is, uh, you know, he, he won King of the Ring. Izzy's one of his biggest kickboxing achievements. I want to say Carlos did it twice. Excellent kickboxer. His wrestling's coming along really well. And, man, like at that division... The skill with which most of those guys strike, or should I say lack thereof skill, mm-hmm. you know, I think we're going to see a quick rise. Like, they wouldn't, you know, Eugene, Doug, these guys, the coaches, they wouldn't be putting Carlos in at 3-0 and if they felt he was green. You know what I mean? He might be green experience-wise, uh, time in the cage, but, man, like, those guys are training their wrestling and, and jiu-jitsu for years, even before they transition, some of them, so... I really think he's going to rise quickly through the ranks, you know, and he'll be another big star. What is his, uh, I don't think I've seen him fight, actually. What is his, uh, his skill set besides, you know, obviously he's a striker, but like, what does it, what does it look like? I saw his, uh, contender series thing. Well, I saw the knockout and it was actually pretty cool. It reminded me a little bit, uh, and this is a very premature, very surface level observation, but, uh, he pivoted as his opponent moved in and left hooked him which was, uh, it was very Adesanya-ish in a mm. way that you don't tend to see that often. Um, so I'm interested. I haven't, I didn't watch the whole fight, but um, he did walk that guy right into it, and it was uh, something that you don't tend to see on a show where guys aren't particularly polished. Cool. Yeah, I would definitely recommend going on YouTube and just typing in Carlos Olberg, King in the Ring, and getting to see some of that work. Uh, good low kicks. Like you said, I mean, the, all those guys that strike well up there, you know, they're not all cookie cutter. It's not like they're trying to get everybody to, you know, pull and do all these things that Adesanya does, but just the understanding of range, the understanding of low kicks, of setting up the angles, you know, splitting the stance or coming around to the flank. Like, you, you know, you find the similarities between all good strikers, really, with those fundamental concepts, but not as, not as like, flashy, maybe, as Adesanya with some of the movement and and the feints, and, you know, Izzy's got such a unique look and a unique style, but 
fundamentally, you know, kind of a similar fighter. Just just basic fundamental skills taken to a high level, you know. That's that's why I think he'll really have a lot of success at 205. I, I hope so. I, you know, I don't actively root against the upper weight classes. <laughs> it's just you know, going by what, what happens. So I'm all for having someone to, to cheer for and someone to really look at and be like, you're... You're one of the good ones, but then uh, obviously that leads to, to heartbreak sometimes. Uh, R.I.P. Well, Curtis Blades. Yeah, sure. I, I'd love to talk about that fight too. That was wild. But uh, you got to think, was it 15 minutes ago we were talking about Rakic throwing not a spinning back fist, but a, <laughs> I, oops, I missed my gross overhand right, so maybe I'll just throw this backwards back fist and, and knocking a man down with that. So the the idea that you know anybody at two hundred five can come in and throw some decent punches is uh, exciting for sure. Man, the Curtis Blades fight, what in the world, man? It, isn't it, it? Derek Lewis is every fighter who trains hard and believes that hard work and technique and love for the sport and discipline and all these awesome terms that everybody tells you matters. He's he's all of our worst nightmare. The guy getting ready for his title fight with DC, he said, oh, yeah, I'm spending 30 minutes a day in the gym. Can you imagine that? I'm, what? You know what I mean? I wish I got to spend 30 minutes a day in the gym and be one of the best fighters in the world at my weight class. I mean, that's a scary man. Yeah, we uh, we covered that a decent bit. That's It's a cruel world, and it's like the one time that, like, oh, it only takes one punch. Like, it only takes one mistake. Usually heavyweights make a ton of mistakes and they're fine. <laughs> it's like one of the best put together fighters in the division. You know, it makes a, a, an atypical mistake for him. Not something he does that often, where he just you know, shows the level change and then goes right into shooting. Like usually he'll, you know, fake you out and go back up and then go down and get you swinging. But uh, yeah, just, just doubled down the level change and, and blades. I uh, not blades, but Lewis is looking for it the whole time. He admitted it in the post fight interview. He said this is the only thing I was looking for, and he got Man. it. It's funny too in the clip. There's like maybe maybe uh, Blades has eight nine level change feints before he finally shoots, mm-hmm. and like I gotta say, probably ninety percent of them when he feints, Derek Lewis just looks grossly out of position. He's like he's like leaning backwards, almost falling over. Like it's like if he would have shot on any of those, he probably gets them down. Right. And then the one time he chooses to shoot, Derek Lewis finds the uppercut. It was a it was a beautiful shot. So sad, so sad. Uh, let's we got we got a couple couple left here. We're we're doing good. Uh, really, only two, only two left. Uh, sure. Um, have you seen Sean Brady fight? Yeah, I've seen it. I don't remember a ton about <laughs> what he does necessarily. I remember him being good and very athletic. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it isn't necessarily a thing of oh he's bad. I don't remember him. It's just you know I don't remember he, every single fighter. He is functional. He is very functional with this game. Like he's not really. I haven't seen him be, look bad anywhere. Um, I, I think he's like a more physically intimidating uh, Jared Gordon at this point. <laughs> that's, a, that's the best analogy I can make. Like someone who's just doing a lot of smart stuff, a lot of the right things, nothing super flashy. But uh, he's a Philly guy, so I should know him better. And I did. Uh, I was invested in his, uh, his second UFC fight because that was right after I wrote my article about uh, Ishmael Narduyev not being a good defensive wrestler because. Everyone thought he was because he had that crazy uh, fight, fight with uh, yeah, Michelle Prezerish. And I was like, no, no, look, he's actually bad. Um, and then uh, Sean Brady wrestled him. So <laughs> that that made me yeah. feel good. But uh, Jared, I think, actually ha- had 
specific things he wanted to say about Sean Brady, which is good because we're we're flopping here. <laughs> Man, I, I can't say that I've watched all of his fights, but I do know the fights I have watched. It's looked like he uh, has a, a functional understanding, like you said, of just circling and he doesn't keep his back on the cage and the I'm try, I can't remember who he guillotined. He choked him unconscious. It was yeah, beautiful. He, he's got a that's who it was, yeah. And he's got a a great little system once he starts getting his uh, his hands locked, especially with that arm in guillotine. And um, man, the guy was doing a good job of defending, and he, you could tell he had a lot of experience there. That's definitely like his uh, his go to submission. He was excellent at it, but he had a good left hook too. And uh, Jake Matthews, I think, is a good test. Like we talked about earlier, if you don't finish, uh, we'll call him Fabia era. Diego Sanchez inside of a round, two rounds, then you should start asking yourself questions like, why, why? Really, that, that's what you need to ask yourself. I mean, it, it's it, it's it's sad to think that you know you would spend your whole life training. I, I think there are people that aren't alive right now. They're they're not currently alive. At dead people who who could finish current Diego Sanchez in, inside of a round. So. I think that was a bad look for Jake Matthews. Yeah. So I'd like to see Sean Brady punish him for that one, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, good I'm looking at, yeah, I'm looking at the Brady's record right now. I did watch his fight against Court McGee. That was his debut. And I remember watching it because there were a lot of people who like bet on Court McGee in 2019, which was kind of weird to see. But, uh, yeah, uh, Brady kind of beat the crap out of him. I remember him landing some nice left hooks, as, um, as Jared mentioned. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for him. I think as Jake Matthews is kind of a weird case because he was like a big favorite over James Vick and Kevin Lee at one point. So he's not necessarily lived up to those expectations by going to decision with Diego Sanchez and like conceding the center of the cage. Uh, and it's actually looking worse with like Matt Brown killing Sanchez effortlessly and then losing to everyone after that. So it's it should be uh, something of a feeding, but you know, there, there are always some weird things with these fights. Uh-huh. Yeah, Brady's got a, a cool back tattoo as well. We'll throw that in. Oh, There's yeah, some of my true. fight analysis. Cool back piece. I believe Volkov copied it. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, th- those are two young athletic Walter Waits, but Matthews kind of had his time to develop and has been a little disappointing, I'd say. Um, even though he's on a three-fight win streak, but, you know, that Diego Sanchez fight might as well be a loss with, you know, <laughs> the impression he made. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I think it's it's good for Brady to keep climbing and, and see what he can do. Um, there are a couple more fights, but the last thing I wanted to discuss on this card is just the existence of Trevin Jones. So this is uh, specifically a shout out uh, to a friend of the site, friend of me, <laughs> Ethan Agigi. I think I, I looked up a video of someone saying your name, so if I said it wrong, it's because of the video. Um, but you were on the news once, and, and they said your name, so there you go. Uh, but he uh, he trains at the Southeast Regional Training Center in freestyle, uh, representing Guam, and uh, I think he's been going to look to a. Uh, I think he I think he has the spot for the Olympics. I don't know what his, his deal is with the Olympics, but he's looking to wrestle at the Olympics. I think he'll get there. Um, and yeah, he's just, just a solid guy. And uh, Trevin Jones also from Guam, and that's how they know each other. So uh, he's sending me a shirt in exchange. I'm going to talk about Trevin Jones, and uh, yeah, I watched his fight with Timur Valiev. Um, have you guys both seen that fight? Yeah, I have. You know, yeah, I, I wish I could say I did. This whole time, embarrassingly enough, I, I kept thinking Trevin, 
guy. Zion, I was thinking right. it was the guy who fought uh, James Krause. I was going to talk about what an awesome fight that was. Yes. But uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to take a backseat on this one. I, I'm not too aware of Trevin Jones. I, I thought the same thing. And you know, we were talking <laughs> about Timur Valiev on like a, like weeks, months ago. We were talking about Timur Valiev on something like after it happened. Well, like before his last fight. And Shuram kept saying, oh, he lost to like Trevin Jones. He lost to Trevin Jones. And I he either said Giles by accident or I just assumed that it was Trevin Giles and like that is he joking like that's a weirdly specific joke to say that he lost to that middleweight um and then I realized it wasn't him so I went, <laughs> so I went and watched the fight and kind of an unfair fight he took it on three days notice which is insane um and like cut all the weight and, and everything and fought Timur Valiev who's one of the best I don't know if he's a prospect but one of the best you know unranked fighters in the division um super athletic like fights very athletically like unfair kicking speed uh volume fighter like does a lot of different stuff it's like if zabi was a little more uh compact uh, a little more energetic uh, <laughs> is kind of how it reminds me he even threw like a showtime elbow at one point and he's a good wrestler so yeah. timor valiev i think he's a uh, another mark henry guy uh out of dagestan so you know some similarities to zabi there but you know very different look and yeah he was beating him up a little bit and uh trevin jones you know Looks like he likes a lot of southpaw double attack stuff and has a good left hook at the open stance matchup. And obviously super heavy-handed. So I think he's looking to counter the kicks. But early on, what was troubling him was, I think, the speed, like just the physical uh, difference put him on the back foot a bit. And uh, Valiev was getting off with his kicks a lot easier. And what changed was, after he got hurt really badly in the first round of the body, uh, Valiev didn't finish him, but he came out hot in the second round because his corner said, like, hey, you gotta, you got to pressure him. Like you got to put him on the back foot or you're not going to be able to deal with his speed. He's going to kick you up. So you put him on the back foot right away. And Valiev was still doing everything he was doing. But now, uh, you know, the the balances had changed. You know what I mean? Kicking on the back foot a little bit um, is not nearly the same as when you're backing someone up and getting your kicks off. So he's able to time. Uh, I think he noticed like a response that, that Valiev was like kicking when he fired off his uh, rear hand. And he fainted the rear hand and then, you know, trying to hopped into it with the with the right hook lead and just bonked him uh, while he was kicking it and finished him off. And obviously, uh, he hits really hard. And so that was actually a pretty impressive adjustment. I think there's an argument that it could have been stopped after he got hurt to the body. Uh, but I'm really glad that they didn't stop it because that, that was a cool, a cool way to win and uh, a really big feather in his cap, I think. Yeah, I mean, Timur Valiev, I'm not super familiar with him. I did watch the uh, Jones fight because he was supposed to fight Julio Arce, and uh, I'm very invested in Julio Arce. So, uh, yeah, Valiev's pretty solid. Um, Jones, I, I'm not, I didn't take as much from the fight as you did. I thought Valiev just kind of screwed the pooch there a little bit. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it happens. I'm like, you kind of have to do something to make a better fighter screw up like that. So, credit to him. Yeah, but shout out Trevin Jones. Shout out uh, Ethan. Shout out Virginia Tech and the Southeast Regional Training Center. That's not me being a traitor. Listen, here are my, my allegiances, Jared. <laughs> hey, I'm as, in Virginia. I'm not complaining. Yeah, Shrum's in Virginia, and he's already and he's in Harrisonburg, I believe, which is you know close-ish to Virginia Tech. Um, closer to Virginia Tech than UVA, right? I'm not exactly sure. Right, I think it's comparable. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I keep forgetting that UVA is in Western Virginia, which like doesn't make sense to me. It feels. Yeah, so I mean, much... there's a UVA campus right in my hometown, which is uh, Northern Virginia. It's just it's a satellite, so that's just yeah, what the I main about. ones. You know, actually not that far from Tech. Anyway, they're in the ACC conference in wrestling. The University of Pittsburgh is in the ACC conference of wrestling. That's my alma mater. 
obviously I didn't mm-hmm. wrestle there, but I'm a big fan of the team. I've, I've been following the team super closely. So you could say they're in conference rivals, but I think ACC sticks together. There's only like five or six teams in the conference and we all look out for each other, I think. So, you know, solidarity <laughs> for the <laughs> ACC. Uh, and I don't know how Jared feels about college wrestling or if he has allegiances to the Big 12, but uh, that's a bigger conference. So I would get being more uh, upset <laughs> about rivalries in that case. Ed, I've got allegiances to nobody. Oh, just Not kidding. No, I'm big fan of uh, yeah, big fan of Oklahoma State, big fan of OU. But really, man, I don't compete in in wrestling anymore. So, you know, I, I don't I don't care too much. I enjoy watching good wrestlers wrestle. You know, um, and what I don't enjoy is seeing Dayton Fix fail a steroid test in a sport where it's pretty hard to fail a steroid test. That was kind of sad, you know. Yeah, no, it was his dad's Austrian. That was his dad's water bottle. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, that happens. Sometimes at my house, my, my dad puts his steroids that happen to be conducive to me being a better athlete, and I'm a professional athlete. We mix up our bottles sometimes. Sure, um, that was genuinely what his excuse was, and the best part about it was all right, two, two best things about it. So best thing about it, number one, is that his excuse was that his coach – Chris Perry and one of his coaches at Oklahoma State, that his coach gave it to his dad. So his his, his wrestling coach gave steroids to his dad to put in his water. <laughs> but oops, we messed we messed up the bottles in the fridge. So I drank the steroid water um, that my coach. He said, gave "Wait, dad. dad, was that not the Gatorade powder?" <laughs> Fuck. So first of all, did his dad that, have a reason to be on steroids? No. <laughs> what? So. <laughs> kind of reminds me of when Arnold Allen, after every one of his fights, talks about how his dad is super jacked and on roids. Yeah. Yeah, so you're admitting that there are steroids in your house and that your coach is the one who's distributing them. So obviously that's suspicious. Um, but you know what's better is that that excuse got him a lighter suspension. It <laughs> nice. worked. So he. What is what is the worst uh, in your guys's view? What is the worst excuse we've had for steroids? Hmm. Probably something from Jones just on volume. Uh, I can't remember them all. That Frank Mir's kangaroo meat was pretty rough. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah. The associated horse oh. meat one for Overeem. Yeah, I was going to say. No, but there's there's a lot of good excuses for, for steroids. That one was just, he didn't do himself any favors uh, on that. You just say tainted supplement. Just say tainted supplement, and then they don't even, yeah. they can't prove which supplements you were taking. This is how the loophole, like everybody gets like their suspension lightened because of this. You know, you can just say, Oh, tainted supplement, then you go find a legal supplement that has the thing you failed for in it, and you say, I was taking this, and then they test it, and they say, oh, yeah, it has that in there, but it's not in the label, so you just have to, like, know shit, <laughs> like, speak to people that know a lot about steroids, and they can just say it was this one, um, and, like, a bunch of people have gotten latent suspensions on it, but it always bothered me. It, it never says that, like, they were able to prove that they took that supplement. They said, well, yeah, no, yeah they the just system. can't necessarily thing. disprove it, yeah. 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 So, but what did you think about? Uh, yeah, what did you think about Nate Diaz's failure for for SARMs? But they said they found it and. Uh, what did he say? What was his excuse? I think he. I think it was a tainted supplement, but they actually, I want to say they were able to like see that it was like one of his brands or a sponsor or something that had been a part of the camp before. I'm not really sure, but it was in there. If anything, that's kind of more suspicious, because, like, if I made a steroid <laughs> that was tainted with, like, 
fucking Austrian or something, I would just take Austrian all day and be like, oh, just look at my, at my supplement. Maybe that's the move, Sharam. You make a supplement company. You pump it full of steroids. Two benefits. One, everyone takes your stuff and they're getting fucking shredded. Two, you then pump yourself full of that steroid. You get caught. You say, oh, man, it's in my supplement. You get off, lighter sentence, and everybody goes, oh, dude, I can get Austrian legally from this guy's supplement, and they go buy more of your product. Boom. Yeah, I mean, it's foolproof. Mm-hmm. I am a fool, and that would definitely, uh, I could pull that off. <laughs> so, speaking of Dayton Fix and college wrestling, uh, quick plug for the Patreon. Uh, actually, the latest wrestling commentary I did was the 2021 uh, college wrestling dual meet between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. They call it Bedlam. Jared, Jared knows all about it. And mm-hmm. yeah, Dayton Fix wrestled in that. That was his first match back of the season since the Austrian. Uh, <laughs> the most Italian man in wrestling, AJ Ferrari. Uh, Let's go. Wrestled a, a top dog in uh, Jake Willie, and that that was a good match. And uh, yeah, just a lot of a lot of great wrestling uh, on display there. And uh, my commentary was sometimes good and sometimes hilarious because of how bad i was screwing up but uh it was a good one and that's my my sequel to the other latest one i did which was uh virginia tech versus nc state bring it back to the acc but uh yeah three dollars on patreon will get you pretty much everything that's behind that paywall and then higher tiers will get you discord and higher tiers than that will get you custom content which i recommend making use of um and jared if you're not a patron i will send you the video for oklahoma state versus oklahoma uh, could I say something about the Patreon real quick? Say something. Um, go and subscribe to it, or me, Ed, and Sharon will come to your house and kill you and your family. He said it. Can't plug any better than that. I'm not going to deny it. It could happen. It's a very real possibility. So I've been Mr. Nice Guy this whole time, you know, nice and public. Um, but now you're going to find out, you know, what I'm like in private, which is uh, a murderer, a snake. So. <laughs> a snake and a murderer. So there you go. I think that's a good way to end a podcast. What do you guys think? Yeah. I thank agree. you, Jared, for that awesome plug and for coming on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you guys for having me, man. I really appreciate, uh, your time. And right now I'm on the regional scene and it might be a few years, but when the day comes and you're breaking down the, the UFC cards that I'm headlining, I'd love to return the favor, so to speak. And, you know, always call in with you guys and be on the podcast because I, I really appreciate you guys doing this for me. In advance, I, I thank you for for doing that. You know, you're, you're getting Absolutely. good at MMA and you're you're going to be successful like for our benefit, so we can use you for clout. So yep. that's, that's the long <laughs> yep. con right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that that's it. Um, I got my young article coming out. Uh, should be Friday, so it's tomorrow probably. If you're listening to this, uh, we got staff picks coming out. Uh, keep getting, keep your eyes glued to our YouTube channel because now that we got these shorts, they're working really well. They get about the same amount of views as you know higher effort videos, and we can just do a lot of them. So uh, I've I started making a few, and and I got a few that are coming out. And we're we're just gonna be spamming videos almost every day, and uh, you learn a little something in under a minute, so that's nice. Uh, so check that out, and uh, otherwise, see everybody again uh, next week. Goodbye.